This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 117, Aftermath. Well, it's been almost a month since we last had a Strange Assembly episode, and it feels like it's even more than that. This whole uh, multiple kids time off thing is just completely throwing me out of whack. Yes. There's but always the circus. I do not understand how that would help anything, Mike. <laughs> uh, one of my friends, um, whenever her kid is being Are bad, just she taking them. Well, yeah. She, well, no, she always tells him that he, she'll he, she will give him to the circus, as like a jokingly, you know, stop being bad. Ah, yes, we try to avoid things like that. But this is Strange Assembly, your parenting podcast. I mean, uh, <laughs> your, your board and card gaming podcast. What do we got? A tabletop, right? That's the, the phrase I like to use because it encompasses everything now. As you could tell from the title, Aftermath, we're going to talk about Legend of the Five Rings today, including the, maybe not the newest expansion, Aftermath, but uh, as of the time that we're recording, all but I think three cards have been previewed so it seems like a good time to hit that as well as some story developments uh, as we're recording aftermath aftermath part two has come out but not aftermath part three so you know how quickly are the crab and the dragon going to to come to war we don't know uh who did legulus really kill because it certainly wasn't dairuku we don't know but I am Chris Stevenson, and here with me today are Jay Earl. Hey. And Mike Cook. Yo. And it's, yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, about a month since uh, we had Fred on and did the Gates of Chaos was actually the episode before, uh, that were the L5R episode before Blood Feud. So there's been a, a decent number of tournament results coming in, although, uh, we don't know what the significance of a lot of those is going to be, but uh, let's see, ones that I think those of us on the show particularly liked were, I, I bet Jay liked that there were two Rattlings chosen for top of clan picks at Eurochamps. Squeak. You ended up with two there because there was a, this is a, a bit, I didn't think they usually do this, the winner got to make a pick, but that was different from the top of clan pick. The guy who won did not get the top on a line pick, so both of those got to be rattlings, and that was Bryn, Chris Braun's card, and then some other R- rattling. I don't remember. Wasn't it Rusty? I last looked at it like a week ago. Oh, Rust, Rust Tick Tick? Yeah, Rust Tick Tick. Oh, that was the other one? Okay, there you go. Well, yeah, because those are like the two that are still around. <laughs> the The vanity cards. Yeah. Yeah, and so Eurochamps was won by Foothold of the Mad. In fact, there were three Foothold of the Mad decks in the top four, I believe. 
I believe there were five in the top four, actually, because it's foretold of the mad. That's what it does. No, no, but it does do a lot of things. You had the deck that won was a Holding Blitz deck, which really is not a good archetype to have viable. It's one of those things when you, you when you're crafting a, a tournament environment, you want to try to have the parts that are really nifty and awesome that people like about your game be somewhat syncing up as much as you can with what's good in tournaments and really decks that just attack you with holdings are not what you think of when you think about L5R, I don't think. But there were other stuff. There was also an Oni deck and then there was a, like a dueling control deck. Just, you know, I, I sword for hire you. I mean, of course, the, the thing bringing them all together is the explosive gold starts that you can get with that deck and always going first, which has just not at all been balanced in, in Emperor Edition. Right. But I also haven't seen Foothold of the Mad romping anywhere else. Not that there's been a lot of other else's to see that are big. Even what Jade Championships that had 30 some people. I, I, you know, that it was in Spain. They usually pull in 100 person Cote, 120 person Cote, whatever. So that prompted a lot of people to, to call for some sort of banning. I think the other thing I've seen people call for bannings on is, uh, is using, uh, Temple of Purity and Blood of Jahai and the Force and Chi switching monk, which is, which is cute. Kill somebody every turn. I think the real problem in there is that Sacred Rosary of the Phoenix was a kind of silly card. Well, actually, so was Top, but... Yes. Each is its own problem, but combined together, they're super problem. Well, I don't... I mean, or well, problem Voltron. Yes. Well, I mean, that's a deck that didn't actually win. Right. So, I think that deck should at least be more environment-deforming or winning before she, we should... uh Concerned about, right. obviously. Right. Let's let Phoenix win some more. <laughs> Sir, I, I let nothing hold back my bad jokes. <laughs> of course, I, I am super excited that Dragon won Emerald Championships, which was played using the strategic L5R format where you have teams and a map and daimyo and really a lot of stuff that isn't part of normal L5R. But it's so awesome. Yes. But that's, it's not for an advisor, it's the actual Emerald Champ. You know, it always, it just doesn't work out this way because you have backstory-wise, it's, there's always a Crane Emerald Champion, and then in active storyline, it's whoever wins the Emerald Champion tournament. But it's like, you know, come on, the Miramoto are the other big dueling family. There should be a Miramoto Emerald Champ someday, and now there will be. So of course it's a Tomori. No, no, it's an actual Miramoto. I, it's, I know. Uh, was, was going for the bad joke. I think you had to pick a Samurai. Ah. was one of the requirements, so they Tomori was not an option. They could have potentially picked a, a Katsuki, but heavens no, I, I like the Katsuki, but Miramoto should be the Emerald Champ we're waiting for. I still, until they reveal who it was, I can pretend that Hijatsu was the Emerald Champion during the time jump, and that that awesome character won't end up, end up being a completely ignored waste, which is mostly what he's ended up being. Sad face. Mm. Any other tournament results you guys have found noteworthy? Didn't Crane win something? Or did we talk about that last time? Did they? Yes. It was like a pick a, a keyword thing. 
Oh, hey, we'll take as many keywords we can get. Take what you can get. Uh, yeah, I think the, I mean, before getting into Aftermath, the cards, I guess partially this is based on Aftermath cards and partially I, is it just me or does it seem like what choices people made for Kote season, who the personalities were and whether they won or died, I guess it's not, it's not that they didn't matter at all, but it seems kind of haphazard whether or not they mattered. Some of them seem to have mattered, but we've seen a half dozen people now, I think, that were supposed, that were chosen to be killed that aren't really dead. Like Hidakaji is in Aftermath. Well, that doesn't mean he's not dead. I mean, there's a long litany of people who are legal cardboard and have been long dead. I still remember there was at least one Phoenix who died before their card, their first card had ever been printed, so. Just because they're getting printed in the set doesn't mean alive. Eh, I don't know. There have been some other ones that came up in story. Well, I've seen. Well, I mean, Karachu in the story seems to be running around kicking butt. So <laughs> yes, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't win a Kote this year, so it's kind of speculation. It would be interesting to see what the Kote winners think, but it just seems weird. The whole your that your choice doesn't actually you know, end up corresponding to what is happening in the story. And, of course, we haven't seen anything about the whole territory thing. Although, Jay, I imagine you'd be happy if we never did. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. What territory thing? <laughs> uh, Panku did it. <laughs> yes. Nobody really lost anything. It was all Panku. Tsukihime's back in charge, which, which like I said, back when she was one of the two personalities in the Imperial deck that won, that that seemed like a a relatively appropriate thing to happen. That what the, the Crab and Dragon are really starting to butt heads. Nobru and Renyu do not like each other, which I, I think plays out well in the fictions. Yeah. Well, to be fair, is there anyone Renyu does like? Itsuko? Hmm. People who do what he tells them to do? Yeah, fair point. Dead spider? <laughs> Undead spider, no. No. <laughs> see, let's Re-dead see. dead spider, back to yes. Let's see, the, the crane and the mantis are continuing to have negotiations about what will happen in the wake of their fight. Right. Apparently all the crane bushi in the colonies are dead now. I think I saw that reference in a fiction somewhere. So. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I there was a reference in the fiction like, most of the Mantis military forces in the colony were destroyed at the one battle, but basically all of the Crane military forces were, so. That was a worthwhile time and investment. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I, I mean, the moral is either just don't fight against the Mantis because they can't lose, or don't have Chris predict on the forums that your faction has to win because it would just be so boring and predictable if you lost because then you just lose. Right. But, I mean, it does reflect the game. They lost the battle, therefore their whole army was wiped out, and Mantis probably got a nice bit of honor from that. Yes, although although the crane may be disas- may actually be making sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, if I recall the clan letters correctly... uh. 
since the Mantis clan letter primarily seemed to be complaining about people not giving the Mantis respect. Yeah. You guys, we respects us. Yes. Crane is just like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we have had two design diaries, but I think that those, like what went on that has largely been synthesized. The most recent one was, uh, was sort of the design inspiration and the one before that was rulebook clarifications, which we largely had already seen from things. It was, you know, announcements of stuff we'd kind of figured out. Although there's more information that we've kind of seen from the aftermath previews and from what I'm guessing was the accidental preview of three Ivory Edition cards. Yeah, that's the exact same thing, I guessed. Because it was like, oh, oh, we have to stop. I'm like, why would you start Ivory when we're not even done with Aftermath yet? And it's a place I have never heard of before. The yeah. Mystery State distribu- uh, Distributors. And they're not, they don't have any place in Georgia, so that also kind of pisses me off, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me that they got Ivory Edition previews this early. To be well, accidentally spoiling. Well, they must they must have something with AEG because they also are the only ones who have announced the um, the retailer ivory package that they have going on. Uh, it, yeah, there there's clearly some sort of promotional deal there that is set up. Yep, the 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 distributor just messed up and and previous stuff early. So we learned how naval works in uh, ivory edition. I think that was one of those. Yep. Yeah. So naval now is, it sounds like it doesn't matter relative numbers of naval. It's just if you have an, a, you can take an action from your naval personality's unit. So it has to be printed on a card in the unit. And it's once per turn. Yes, that's right. Once per turn instead of once per battle. So now if they split and attack three, they only get to naval kill you at one. Or, you know, naval force stab you, I guess, because this is Ivory Edition. And she's actually got a printed, I think, when she had Naval Fear 2. Yeah. On a reasonable follower. She seemed pretty good. But let's see, Aftermath. Uh, you know, again, we're not going to just go bang through all these cards. Most of them are pretty irrelevant in Emperor, and I still... Super speculation for Ivory. We're getting a much better picture of how cards tend to be costed, but... Really, the base set is where you're going to have a large volume of cards to be able to to analyze things well, and then maybe we can go back and kind of try to be like, okay, so in a more rigorous way, be okay. So paying this amount of gold gets you this kind of thing, and uh, I don't know, but let's see. The first thing I would note about aftermath is that um, I was completely wrong about the disappearance of token spirit created token personalities for Kitsune and such, because those are clearly still a thing. I I was wrong in that I uh, I don't think I ever said it on the podcast, but I speculated when the aftermath preview list went up of what cards they were previewing, and because of the description in the product page, I guessed that we were getting wins back, and that was entirely incorrect. No. What what made you think we were getting wins back? Because one of the uh, one of the last taglines in the product was uh, you get to support one of the heirs, and they both of the heirs were cards that were going to be previewed. Oh, yeah, but they have actual, those are actual personalities. We will get to them near the end, because of course they're some of the more... Right, but, but I was thinking, if you're, if you're gonna simplify, one of the ways that you could do that is actually give somebody a card that says, here's what your Imperial Favor does, and you could actually make it more useful for other clients. But, whatever, it didn't happen. Yeah, no, no, it did not. Let's see, we got some more, uh, let's see, there's more things you can tell from cards. Clearly, 
uh, the rulebook tactical action has become tactical advantage, and that's a, a limited. It seems like it's still a force pump, but yeah. there's a lot uh, of actions that that are force pump. Tactical, or not tactical, because tactical, I think, is gone, but tactician is, that ability is relatively stronger than it used to be. Because now there's all kinds of personalities that have, you know, battle, discard a card to give a force stab, or there's a dragon monk who's got a non, it's not the tactical advantage, but he has, you know, void limited, discard a card, force pump. So, in a world where there are no battle strategy, kill a guy, chucking random meta cards from your hand for big force pumps is significant, I think. We've got the discipline keyword, so flashback is now a thing in L5R? Yep. Uh, slightly modified flashback, but yeah. Well, in that you can't play the same card twice in a turn? Correct. Yes. I mean, that is very relevant. Yeah, well, especially since L5R cards have much lower cost. One of the discipline actions that seemed like it was reasonably likely to be staple or, or could be staple at the start of a, of an arc was return to action because it's only defensively, but it's, it's presenceless move in that straightens you. And yes. there has not, I don't know how much I, I've, I've gone back and checked, but there's hardly any, if any, ivory legal move in straighten so far. That's uh, very little. We've also got the reserve keyword, which lets you buy a personality out of a province as an absent battle action. I've seen some people kind of flipping out about reserve, like, oh my god, it's good. I've seen other people say, this is, reserve is terrible. You're just moving, you, you know, you're buying a guy into the battle and then they shut him down and yeah, right. I mean, that's, that accomplish? That's, that's sort of the problem with reserve, especially for an attachment heavy deck is, they're showing up in the middle of battle with no chance to equip them with anything. I mean, like, the Phoenix one, I think, is probably the worst one. Just, I mean, he's a giant beat stick, but he's a Shigenja, which means he wants spells, and his ability requires having spells. So showing up in the middle of battle is not really that helpful. Well, there is a kata that lets you attach spells in the middle of battle. True. Because we've seen both of those, I say both of those replaced. There's, yeah, there's a kata that replaces the attach a spell in battle rule. And you'll note it's, it's weirdly phrased compared to the other kata because it actually lets you, it, it doesn't discard other copies of itself. So if you put two of them out, then it lets you use its battle action to attach a spell and take an additional action twice. Whereas a normal kata discards all other kata, even copies of itself. And then there's a, uh, a kata for dishonor decks that it kind of g- adds back in the punishment, the economic punishment. So anytime they buy a guy where it's below the honor requirements, wait, right, because you caused them honor loss, now they can ignore honor requirements, but now they have to pay two more. Well, not just them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's most likely going to apply to them, but it is all players. Well, yeah, but I mean, even if you've, even if you're below your own honor requirements, which you may be, those, that, I mean, if you've caught yourself honor laws, but those like Scorpion decks and right. Colot decks, right. they, they, have they don't have honor requirements anyway. Yeah, you're right. 
So, uh, and yeah, I guess things are, right, you've got things that are symmetrical like that, except not really. You've got, uh, on the Dishonor side, right, there's Nexus of Lies, which is a four for four, which seems like it could be pretty darn good, although, I mean, it seems like we say that about a lot of holdings. I, we're really gonna have to wait to see right, Ivory I mean, and take this out, but it, that is another one that, that punishes, that doesn't, directly help your dishonor but it punishes decks for playing dishonorable cards and so you could certainly see a lot of that out of dishonor decks to be like no seriously you cause yourself even a little i'm going to nuke you for it yeah honestly i don't really see it being played that much out of dishonor decks so much as i see it a meta choice if the environment like if an oni deck becomes really big if crony takes off again Nexus of Lies suddenly gets slotted in because it becomes a pretty solid win against them. There aren't any Oni. So far. <laughs> as much as the crowd would like to, I don't think they've actually exterminated the species. Well, yeah, but I mean, there isn't a single <laughs> ivory legal Oni, or is there even any kind of Shadowlands critter? I mean, there's the Kitsune, there's the Unaligned Shadowlands Kitsune in this set, the Onyx Champ, but those seem to have gone away. I mean, the spiders still have some Shadow, have Shadowlands guys. There's actually a Shadowlands crab, but the honor loss on them, if they, if they even, even spider even take honor loss from their own guys, there's not a lot of honor loss on those guys anymore. There's the Stonebreaker. The Badger Clan Samurai. Yeah, but I don't know if those even have a deck. If you go back to Coils of Madness, there's there's two personalities, the two top yeah. of clan on a line choices that were in there. Yeah, the Sing Mai is the other one. Yeah, and they're they look if you look at their stats and how they're costed and the fact that you know okay they don't get a clan discount but nobody gets a clan discount they're extremely powerful. Yeah, but they require you to be below zero family honor. And which is, you know, a pain unless you are planning on, you start low and you're planning on making yourself lose some. But I don't, they don't seem to have a deck for Ivory Edition. I don't know if there's even going to be a, there's going to be a stronghold that supports Shadowlands on a line stuff or not. I would think not based on what there's been so far. Yeah, I think you're right for Shadowlands, but, uh, the, not the Fallen, it was, um, Fudoists were the deck that won, weren't they? They were going to stick around? Yes. So I'd imagine these might go in the Fudoist deck. Mm-hmm. Assuming that they make one. But even that doesn't that doesn't have, have a negative starting honor, does it? No, but it, it's zero or above. Oh yeah, so you do have to be a negative. But well but that one's not legal. We haven't we don't know what the new one would look like. Well yeah, but those don't really have I guess they could end up in there, but they I mean and then one character and you're buying them but it doesn't really matter. It's only two characters anyways. Two unique characters. Right. Yeah. But they're they're quite handy. You know what yep. is funny? You're right, there are no Oni that are Ivory Legal, but there is Ivory Legal a guy who as a battle action bows to straighten an Oni. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well there might be some spells laying around that create an Oni or turn your guy your human Shugenja into a non-human kind of thing? I don't know. You know, we should really stop letting those just lay around. It may be part of the problem that we had. Spells that turn guys into Oni? 
Yeah, anything that's kind of summons an Oni. Uh, what's that over there? I think it's one of those Oni summoning scrolls. Isn't that kid playing with it? Yes. I'm sure he'll do the honorable thing. Let's see. What else? I see Ide Mutsuken, who's a, the bow, you bow him, unicorn quarter, courtier, you bow him, your opponent chooses and bows one of their guys, which, uh, used to be a scorpion-y thing, but he really makes Marika look just stupendous with her, bow her to choose and you get to choose and bow the guy. Yeah. Yeah. She seems like one of the, uh, a power card going into the arcs. Moshi Rukia just looks better and better too. Oh well. I guess you're particularly, you're impressed with your new master of air, Jay, although. I like him, yes. It seems to say bad things about your current master of the. Well, yes, there's, there is that issue. If only we could, you know, have like ten elemental masters. But yeah, I, I like our new elemental master of air. I'm. Surprised that they're bringing the Tijina in without having them be Sheba, because that's my vague recollection from Way of the Phoenix, was that that was like the sh- one Shugenja school in the Sheba was the Illusionists. Yes, Sheba, Sheba Illusionists. Yeah, that said, I, I really like the card, because, I mean, for an honor deck, that's really what you want. You want presence, and you want to be not care at all about the presence. They can die, whatever. So... She shows up, hey, I've got my presence, and by all means, kill the presence, I don't care. It needs the the skulking slash illusion trait, though, right? Like you, your opponent targets your illusion with an effect, and it, poof, it vanishes. It's not a butterfly, it's an illusion. <laughs> uh, yes, butterflies disappear when you touch them, but illusions don't. Exactly. Yes. Uh, let's see. We've got, and I like that there is an old school Moshi. The Moshi, which were supposed to be this very conservative matriarchal family, have largely of sun worshipping people have largely turned into a clan of. We're kind of like the backup dancers for the Yoritomo Thunder theme. Like we're just gonna have a bunch of girls going around in like loincloths and halter top in the water or something like that. So it was nice to see Moshi Ikaku who. Yeah, is dressed in an actual kimono and doesn't have thunder, but she has fire and air. So I think only the third normal sort of personality outside of the Phoenix to have two elemental keywords. Yeah, we did call, kind of call dibs on that. Yes. Pointed in on our territory. Yeah, the, the, the Agasha joined you and then yeah. gave you that. Yeah, I think, I think Amika was fire and water. And Tamori Wotan is, uh, you'd think if there's going to be a Tamori and he'd have two keywords, it'd be like fire and earth, but he's not. He's like void and fire. That is weird. Yeah. And then the other, I think the other people who have done that outside of the Phoenix are like the, the super enlightened version of, uh, uh, Asahina Sakawa and then like Grandmaster of the Element types, but. Right. So she's in. In rarefied air there. Let's see. There's a couple of interesting economy-wise holdings. There's Suana Dojo. So people with a starting stronghold production of three or less can use that three to get a holding that produces four. It'll be interesting to see how many 
people actually have that? Like, is that sort of just going to be a lion going first thing, or will we actually see other clans that have only three production on their stronghold? Well, and also with the senseis coming in, will that, like, if I have a sensei that has minus one gold production on my four gold stronghold, will that trigger this? Yes, it should. Well, obviously we haven't seen the final rules, but it really should, right. the way they've explained it. Presumably, yes. There, it's it's not just lion, it's should they print any of these sensei with minus gold production? And, of course, for now, not that it matters, let's see, for now you can, it, it works on the Fudo stronghold, too. And it works for um, the Phoenix box that was reprinted in uh, the Learn to Play set. <laughs> right, I'd forgotten that was a three. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes, it was. Or five when when paying for a Shugenja or a spell. That's actually spell. not. That's actually a pretty good trade off. Yep. Yes. We saw with Journey. I mean, granted, Journey's End Keep XP had other advantages, but right, we've seen with. Journey's End Keep, that you can work around some pretty severe distortions in in your stronghold gold production where you get lots of money for one thing but no money for other things. Of course, that stronghold, your, your Phoenix stronghold also has, what, five province, province strength. strength? Yes. Ouch. Ouch. I don't think we're going to see five province strengths much. If it was a different I've, era. No, I... I I assume part of that he was talking about the new math that you now need three cards to crack a province. I assume part of that is going to be a general raising of the province strengths. I, I, I think mean, the numbers are staying the same for the most part. Yeah, I don't I don't know how much rate room there is for raising because when Reese was talking about the crab stronghold, I think he said that the going first side of the crab stronghold only has the seven instead of the eight. Oh, wow. So they may be going up some. The sixes may not be sixes, or they may turn out turn over to seven. So when you're getting screwed for going for playing against lion, maybe you'll get some extra province strength out of it. I mean, of course, hopefully they'll have it balanced so you don't actually get hosed for going second in some matchups. But right, as always, the high honor honor deck that all of a sudden finds itself playing against Lion or whatever and thus going second is almost always a recipe for disaster. Yes. I also I think House of Prophecy has some promise. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but a four for three that draw lets you draw a card after it comes into play? Seems good to me. It it it's definitely got some upside that's certainly a cheap extra card. I think its downside is that it only produces three gold. Yeah, it only yeah. produces three, which is which makes it harder to work into a, a bunch of four cost holdings scheme. Although we don't know right, and we don't know how that's going to work out. And right at the start of the game, if you're buying it, then is when card draw matters least because you. If you draw cards in the first few turns, then you have to discard. I mean, you're you're still in card filtering, which is still worth something. But right, but also if you're buying it those first couple of turns, that's when you most need the gold, and also the, you're effectively paying the most for that card you just drew. Right. At the same point, I still feel like um, 
Oh, this actually makes it a valid mid-game choice, potentially, when you've got other provinces and you're like, okay, well, I've got some extra gold I can't buy a dude with. Um, obviously not because you can't split, but because you just don't have enough money. Uh, this might become a valid choice because you might need that, you know, that's this is another source for a card in hand. And it does right. seem like you're going to be able to empty your car, your hand faster than you uh, have been previously in Ivory. I can certainly see this being a nice round out holding a one of or two of at the end of your gold scheme, hoping to get it mid-late game without completely hosing yourself in your gold scheme. One of the problems when I see it, and this may not be a fair comparison because I'm going to compare it to Productive Mine, which is probably a, a powerhouse card, but it just seems... It's not strictly worse than Productive Nine, but it seems much worse than Productive Nine. Early game, Productive Mine actually gives you the four for four that you want. Once you get later in the game, Productive Mine's Karmic is best suited for then. Right, you've got lots of gold floating around, and you'd rather get the cold card in your limited than, or no, just, yeah, you'd rather see a new dynasty card than a fate card, probably. Yeah, and, and that, and that may not be the game. I mean, there's, there, you can certainly construct common scenarios where you'd rather get the fake. If you've got a ton of gold, you may just want to chuck away the karmic holding and get something else. If you've already got two personalities and you buy them and you've got a little bit left over, right, you don't need to karmic your holding. You just have a little bit of money left over and now you can turn it into a card and a little bit of economy beforehand, but I, I just like Productive Mind's combination of better of, like, I'd much rather see that, I think, in my opening couple of turns, and then late game it can help avoid the, oh my gosh, I have two provinces left, and I just flipped up two holdings, and I desperately need guys. Well, no, I mean, oh, that's true. I mean, but once again, it's one of those things we, we're not going to be seeing, because there might be decks that are just, you know, you much more want fake cards than than dynasty cards that i don't know what that deck would be or anything yeah yeah well yeah exactly and it's um i don't know i just at no point is paying four gold for another card really a bad option except for when it except for the thing of it might be a dude when you need a dude it might not be a dude when you need a dude it's certainly not a bad at least it doesn't seem like it's a bad card you know just be a question of what the options are and what the correct quantities of holdings are and i mean it's you know like in option wise you've also got jade pearl in here which is the way i kind of look at it is in its most basic level uh jade pearl in is effectively another four gold holding it's a it's a three gold holding that produces three gold but when you bring it into play you get to go get a one gold holding out of your deck and instead of paying four gold for a one four gold holding you're paying four gold for a three gold holding and a one gold holding right same kind of thing, and that seems pretty good, too. More deck thinning, a little bit more versatility. I'm looking through the three gold cost holdings for ivory, and all of them, they either produce more gold than for a certain thing, or they have a really good ability, it looks like. Well, which I think they should. I mean, it, it certainly feels like for efficiency purposes, four for fours are really attractive. You know, you get to run yeah. a lower number of holdings in your deck. All you need to get is one holding on turn one, and then two holdings turn two, and now you've got 16 for your turn three. It seems like the the one clear built-in drawback to the everything produces four is that 
you would ha- you'll have a harder time when you're spending money outside of your dynasty phase because the thing is that L5R money isn't nearly as chunky as it used to be, but it's still chunky. If right. you've got actions that cost one, if you've got a battle action that cost one, and all you've got is four for four holdings, that may yeah. effectively now be a four cost battle action. And yeah. there's a lot of strategies that have ba- that have have costs on them in addition to you know just stuff like attachments. Right. Uh, on the on the other hand, you get into this fun or game that Magic has of oh the blue deck still got two gold up oh I'm floating three gold now anyway who knows what he could be playing with it so I must have missed this when did they promo all of the uh, show all the promo dojos for the different uh, jewel champions a couple of days ago I think okay. because they announced the the holiday the pack which is yeah. up to seventy dollars oh lord I didn't even see it was that much. Yeah, so you get a lot for it, but man, I didn't know seventy. Yeah, it's always in this weird spot. It's got the best value for somebody who, you know, doesn't subscribe to the Imperial Herald, doesn't event attend local store tournaments. So then you didn't get the Herald promos, and you didn't get the event kit promos. You, it's got the con pack in there. It's got, and it's got some, you know, ten booster packs, but. If you're somebody who subscribes to the Herald and attends local tournaments and got a con pack and tends to buy a box or two or whatever of a product when it comes out. Right, you're paying 70 bucks for like three cards. Well, it's, you know, seven or something. Yeah, you're, you're paying. Well, you've got the jeweled event promos and there's the one promo per jeweled event and then there's the one promo which is Oracle of the Void this time that you get at all of the like the winter court season tournaments. So probably if you go to tournaments, you're going to go to at least one of those, and so you'll right. get the Oracle of the Void, and then you, if you live near a jeweled event, you'll get a jeweled event promo. So you know it's it's maybe six that you're likely to not have it. Yeah, and it's just it's Ten. so much. It's a well, it's uh one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine unique ones. Yeah, does that include the Oracle of the Void? Does, that does not include Oracle of the Void, okay, which so is 10. If you go to one jeweled event, you'll get eight. Now, they're foils, but... So, for me, I'm looking at that. A lot of that is I'm paying $70 plus shipping for eight cards. Yep. And then hoping that I can turn around and eBay the other stuff. Can I eBay the con pack for something? And I, I probably can. I don't know how much, but... You probably can't really eBay the booster packs that well, but hopefully there's something in there that you can eBay to to make up for it. But it's also got the whole impediment to new player thing if those are actually good holdings. And I, I'll tell you, I haven't even looked at the holdings, so I don't know what they do. They're all Dojo Unique 3 for 2s. The Amethyst is bow your target quarter your artisan, produce gold equal to his chi when you bow hit it. Emerald Dojo is open bow, target... Straighten your target personality. Ivory is open bow. Bow your target unbowed personality. Bow a target dishonorable personality. Jade is battle bow. Straighten your target spell. You may use its abilities a second time. Sitting dueling rounds is limited bow. Permanently give your target samurai shadowlands. Give him three plus one force tokens. Destroy this holding. Lose four honor. The onyx dueling circle is limited bow. Destroy your target shugen, your target shugenja. Create a five force two chi. 
non-human Oni Shadowlands personality. There you go. Destroy this holding. Lose for honor. See, I told you there were cards that created Oni. <laughs> and then uh, Ruby Dojo is political limited. Limited. Bow this card. Bow your target. Magistrate personality. Dishonor our target personality. Uh, that is going to be pretty big. Topaz Dojo is open. Bow. Give a plus one force, plus one sheet training token to a target personality with no abilities and no training tokens. And Turquoise Court is political limited bow. Bow your target unbowed personality. You or any other, or any player, if the personality is an artisan, gain or lose one honor. Those seem like they could be kind of big. Yeah, well, and those all, I think those all become legal on, legal on February 1st. So that's, and probably Ivory is going to hit in February. So. Yeah. They they effectively are are ivory. I think Legal February first, you were correct. But I don't know. Well, we can worry about those. Some of these are pretty strong. Yeah. Ruby. Annoying. Dishon- so. uh, Ruby. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess it's your three for two. Bow this. Bow your targeted magistrate. Dishonor target personality. All of them that they have powerful abilities. Buying a three for two is probably going to be a real handicap, and they all. For sure. Require you to bow the holding and bow your guy, so it should be a pretty good effect if I'm bowing a holding yeah. and bowing a guy. Yeah. yeah, they all require you to bow the holding as well. And two of them require you to blow it up. Mm. Let's see, other Aftermath cards, let's see, I, we have yet another Shinjo Kento, Jiminy Cricket, but and that seems like a, the, the, the swap positions ability seems pretty good. Chris, it is Ivory, ivory Era... Every Ivory Era set is going to have a, an Ivory Champion in it. <laughs> that's that's the thing they're doing. Shinjo Kinto is not an Ivory Champion. We ha- we have another Daidoji Tamataka. Yes, we have a Takashi Nobru XP two. I I have to say I I wish they had not done the weird alternate future never happened and seems like it probably wasn't going to happen. Fallen guys, they're just kind right. of strange. Or they should be like, you know, XP FL or XP COM. Like we had the one that was an XP COM, right? I mean, right. I. Well, but they were actually supposed to. Oh, is that actually they were supposed to be like an alternate version? No, no, those are the ones that are like in between or something weird. I, I, I think the XP COM was on some of the flashback characters. Let's see. So, there's a new Colat Assassin. That seems pretty good. Almost no honor loss if you're a low honor clan. Really brutal honor loss if you're a high honor clan, though. And much, and definitely stronger if you got Ninja. So I think we'll see, I will think we'll see a lot of that out of Sophia and Spider. Which one is it? It's Planted Evidence. It's 10 cost. It kills a guy with 3 chi or less. Or if you have a ninja, it kills a guy with four chi or less, and then you lose honor equal to your starting family honor. You know, I kind of like that as a mechanism for balancing honor loss. It's not so much balancing honor loss so much as it just saying, sorry, Lion Crane, you're just not playing this because you'll never be able to meet your honor requirements. But, I mean, it, it, to some extent, it, it balances the, the some of the drawbacks of having a low starting honor. Not until we get our Harrier uh, se- uh, sensei. The Harriers do not exist. Although I'm sure you'll get a scout sensei. No one expects the Harrier Inquisition because everybody is used to the Phoenix Inquisition now. Yep. Yes. Yes. They are. <laughs> 
Daigatsu Endo. Like I mentioned that there is a, a reducing quantity of honor loss on spider personalities. How does an undead personality not have an honor loss on him? Also, they stuffed a lot of flowers into him. He doesn't smell that bad. <laughs> that seems like a really strong ability, just to be able to... He's a destined personality. You can just keep buying back out of your discard pile. That seems not shabby at all. Look, the spiders, they all look alike. Who who really keeps track? He got better. <laughs> He's undead. <laughs> I mean, just a flesh wound. <laughs> he got better. Uh... Okay, well, so I we're probably running way longer than I wanted to. Let's let's see. Uh, I, I think the two things. Uh, see, I I did want to note. Um, I don't know why on earth they printed Yoritomo Yashinko. She seems brokenly good. Seems to me like the obvious yeah. best card so far for Ivory Edition. At worst case, she's a holding that costs one and produces three. What? Why would you write that? I, I, don't Crane already have a guy that produces gold? I mean, I wonder if Crane can get away with a really light gold scheme. I, yeah, I don't... Well, see, like, yeah, Soken and the Unicorn version seem fair. Like, they seem decent, but they seem fair. You know, you got to right. pay six for this three. You can't buy it go turn one. But, I mean, you can turn one, buy Yashinko... And, and then, buy a three gold holding. And then buy a three gold holding, and now on turn two, you straighten with ten gold. Yep, that's how we roll. I mean, uh, and that's Ivory. No, that's right how Mantis now, roll. <laughs> right, right now in Emperor, she uh, she costs two and produces three. So, <laughs> well, that's what her old one did, right? Yes. Cost five and produced six. Uh, well, Don't you tell Taka experience two is a totally a fair trade for that, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, what they get to ignore his honor requirement? Of two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could meet yes. anyway, I think. While he's drinking his very tiny cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, so what, yeah, the, you get to proclaim her, right? That's what the... Yes. Yeah. It's just a... <laughs> that's much better. I actually well, think that's kind of trivial. Yeah, no, it is. You're not going to proclaim her. Yeah, you don't want your once per turn proclaim to be her. Uh, well, I guess actually, let me take that back. It's not trivial if you're actually you're buying her on turn two as your one personality right. because that's two honor you wouldn't otherwise have gotten. But yeah, for you guys, she's basically a worse version of somebody you already had, mm-hmm. who seemed decent but not for who seems decent but not overpowered in any way. But yeah, Yashinko is just what the heck? I believe my post on the the forums when I saw that was face desk. I, I don't know. I was also a little surprised to see expanding the gardens. Not that I particularly think it's going to be a problem card, but I thought they'd kind of hold off on printing free strategies that give you gold for a little bit, given how they've kind of whiffed on those in Emperor Edition. Right. Well, I mean, it's not like it's one Koku where you just magic up a gold. You do actually have to have two holdings out. Yeah, you can't do anything with it on turn one, and probably you can't do exciting things with it until, I guess, turn two if you're playing with a, you know, an all, a two golding holds. Well, but in, anything but all fours can do something with it on turn two, but yeah, but you know, yeah. So it, it oh, but it's obviously to go with the crane gardener, <laughs> who who I love 
And Adrian Burton, thank you very much for fighting for, to keep that keyword on there, even though they took off his ability. Cute flavor keywords. Those are always nice in uh, L5R. But is there anything else in Aftermath you guys want to talk about before we get to the Awekos? I will be making kicking down door jokes all Ivory Arc. Because Kikita Ujiro is maybe my favorite card ever. Although, honestly, I really like all of the cranes that they printed. Like, uh, what they do and flavor-wise. Yeah, you guys uh, seem to be going pretty well so far. I don't feel like any of them are, are like, super strong. I think Tamataka's pretty strong, and I think Tatsuki seems like she'll be pretty good, but... She's the one who straightens every... Every phase. Oh, sure, every turn. Every turn. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's not shabby. I similarly kind of want to play Unicorn Shugenja so I can make fish jokes. <laughs> uh, oh, I forgot to mention, I mean, Tatsuki's also uh, a four personal honor, which is not not super common right now. From no. the stuff that we've seen. She's eight gold and ten honor requirement, but that's for a two-five courtier artisan uh, samurai. Well, yeah, and presumably that's slotting into an honor deck that hits two in the blink, it hits ten in the blink of an eye. Right, exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to jump into your fish story. No, that's fine. <laughs> I kind of like it better unexplained. Yes, yes. Like, Let's leave well, it there. Okay. <laughs> or did you want to explain it? Oh, no, no I was going to be like, so, like, why is there this random guy in the back of the art for Yochawado? What's that about? See, so much better on un- unexplained. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's I think, move on to the I think I agree, right? Okay, so we have in here, along with putting in actual Yodatai cards, and let me just say, I think I may have already said this, but gosh, I hope that the in Aftermath Part 3, the line and the Unicorn Joe just slaughter all the Yodatai, because after two years of dancing around with that, to have it all just done in one battle would be kind of anticlimactic. Anyhow. So, we've got Iweko Seiken and Iweko Shibatsu, but not, it should be noted, the third Iweko heir, who they have, I'm pretty sure, invented out of nowhere solely for the purposes of L5R Love Letter. (laughs) And I think that's what the Kote thing with L5R Love Letter next year is going to be, is going to be like the, the Love Letter side events to determine who will marry her. I and guess like I don't know I I got on the one hand I think that's really cool and I'd be like yes I I, I Kitsuki should marry her so that there can still be more dragon blood in the bloodline and and you know a nod back to Aweko's original family but I hope she's more than that right I mean wouldn't it, it, it I mean what it, isn't it going to be kind of let's say lame if we have this setup where there's like okay so there's two boys and there's a girl and the boys are going to have a big epic story about who will lead the empire and the girl's going to get married off. Well, it's also completely counter to the original time they did this with uh, in gold edition with the winds because the the girl was one of the bad. Yeah. She was. Okay. Try that again. Oh, sorry. She was one of, uh, she was one of the stronger, more honorable samurai I don't know how to say that without a curse. Yeah. <laughs> she was one of the more physically able characters. Well, and honorable, because uh, yeah. 
she was the one who finally was like, you know what, we need to stop this and go do this stuff over here. Well, yeah, and when that, of course, that that kind of didn't help her because that's that was the one where you basically had so many dynasty people making like the top eight and top of clans at that yeah. that they got to be like, we want the little Weasley guy. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. But. And we want to give the other two to the Phoenix, so I was okay with that aspect of it. <laughs> Those cards were Kaneka and so they were both ridiculous. Although Cesaru did produce one of the stupidest L5R rule things ever. Which is saying something. Yeah. What, you don't like having your cards face up in your hand? No, I do not like having face up cards in my hand. That makes no sense. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Uh Anyhow, so we've got Seiken and, and Shibatsu. Uh, let's, let's see what the cards themselves are. Seiken, honor requirement of 7, cost 11, 4 personal honor, not that it matters. Can't be dishonored or, or gain a clan alignment. It, he himself is a 3-4 samurai paragon. When you recruit him, you get to recruit another non-unique samurai who costs less gold, so normally 10 or less, for free. So. And then he's got political open, take the favor. So if you're acting like he's a clan aligned personality, I mean, this as a clan aligned personality costs four or five or not. No, I mean, just for the stats. And then with the ability, yeah. I don't know what that guy costs, six, seven. I don't know. I guess we could compare him to Noboru, who's got a similar open, take the favor. And he's, I think, a four or five for eight with an above box honor requirement. So... Let's say Seiken costs six. And then you're basically paying five to get another guy for free. So that is a lot of extra gold as long as you've got an expensive guy there. Although, I think the dragon don't have a single non-unique samurai so far who costs more than five. So, and you do have to meet the hard seven. So, right. I, I mean, like, low honor clans are just not going to play him. No. I'd imagine anybody below maybe dragon would not. Well, the unicorn, depending on how they, I mean, they had a four and a five, and but they could have a four that has high personal honor guys. Right. I think as long as you can hit seven in one proclaim, and unicorn starting at four and proclaiming a three. Yeah, they probably. Well, but he, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't sat there and looked. Though I don't know what their personality base is. I I feel like personal honors are generally more normalized. Like there are a lot fewer fours and a lot more twos and ones yep. and. Such than there used to be, but I mean, I think as long as you can hit seven, then he's something to look at. And then Shibatsu is a, he's, he's six. He's also got four personal honor. He's a courtier. They both have the air keyword. I like that. He's got a 10 honor requirement, which can be ignored by Spider Clan. But really, this guy is an honor deck card. And I think it looks like the spider are probably going to have an honor. Sensei, but when he comes into play, you gain three honor, and he's got limited bow to gain an honor, and then if he leaves play, you lose ten. So that's that can be a really good card, and I'm going to say that can be a really good card because one of the other things that I think it was is that Shibatsu is a Peckle Nooni. He does the same thing as Peckle Nooni did, and Peckle Nooni was a very playable card. Oh yeah, especially if you had some way to ignore. The ten honor loss, which we don't have, if he got killed, which we certainly do not have right now. But there's also 
very few ways if you if you were just determined to not send them to battle. Well, th- there are several already, though. There's enough. Yeah, including the one we were just talking about, planted evidence. Because if you're an honor deck getting whacked for 10 for him, that's a beating. Yeah. Now the other thing is, okay, let me ask you, am I, am I crazy here? Now, this ability is exactly the same thing as a peckle. And I don't think that he is a peckle. Because that would be dumb. Not that I think that something in the story is dumb means that it isn't the case, but... <laughs> Let's just assume for the sake of argument that that would be dumb and so they, it's not that. But I still look at that and I'm like, that can't be a coincidence. They could not have just coincidentally, without any kind of accident or thought to it, printed this guy as almost exactly the same thing as a, a, a peckle. Do you think that, okay, yes, it's two cards that are similar, but that doesn't mean anything. No, well, I mean, I think it's, it's one of two things. It's either going to be the honor loss is that he is an imperial heir that was under your control, and this is one of the ones I saw uh, ideas forwarded on the, the the forums. So having him die while he's under your protection or in your lands or whatever would be very dishonorable. Yeah, you see similar things on older cards like Plains of Odysseyucci or uh, his most favored. Right. right, and then. It may be exactly the same, just as kind of a wink and nod that, you know, to Peckles, like, oh, you know, this is kind of the same card. It's kind of funny that we did this. The other thing is that maybe he did, you know, since he's the Imperial heir and he is, like, totally for the spider and he was raised by the spider clan, maybe they did manage to get to him somehow. You know, maybe he is corrupted in some way and that, because the whole thing with the Peckle was its nature got revealed whenever it died, so... Maybe his corruption would get revealed when he died. It doesn't have to be that he's a peckle, but although that's a lot harder to pull off now that you actually have to accept the corruption. And that that could be something else, is it could turn out that he actually is a Daigatsu worshiper or something. I don't know what that right. has to do with him dying. But But the other thing that's kind of weird about this is that I am surprised at how spider-centric they're setting this up in the cards. I had always... Ever since they've been hinting at the, or, or maybe hinting is too weak a word, at the this conflict between the heirs, there have been a lot of spider players who are like, oh, this is awful. It's basically nobody's going to like Shibatsu because he's the spider heir, and everybody's going to like Seiken, and it's going to be a one-sided competition, and and we're going to get destroyed. And, and just set aside how accurate the notion that they would just get destroyed is to be, I saw that, and I'm like, well, you know, the only people who are talking about this as a spider versus everyone thing is you guys. Like every time mm-hmm. you talk yeah. about how Shibat, how you talk about how Shibatsu is the spider heir, you're the one who's making it into spider versus everybody else. But then these cards come out and they really do do that. The flavor text on Seiken is about the spider and the. No, 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 it's about the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> and. Shibatsu, obviously he's got mechanics that are specifically about the Spider Clan. And Shibatsu, Kenpeki is pictured on Shibatsu's card. And Shibatsu is pictured on Kenpeki's card. Sekin is definitely being presented in some way as anti-Spider. I, I don't, not necessarily in a, oh, he's gonna dissolve the clan like Kenpeki thinks he is. But in some way anti-Spider. And Shibatsu is very much, at least in this set, being depicted as a spider guy. 
So, are we having another spider mega game thing here? I don't know. I I think the one big thing that they're going to constantly run into while the spider are there is that they are the bad guys that we can't really do anything to, but we're going to watch everything so we can legally do something to them, which kind of was what the scorpion used to be. Because obviously this is the power play for them trying to further their, we're going to put, we're going to put somebody on the throne. We're going to put a spider on the throne. And that's really what they're playing into. I don't know that this would particularly play well. I kind of agree with the spiders just in that I don't think that this is necessarily something that you need to put up to player decision. Of course, you would still want player decisions somewhere in it. But if you're going to tell an interesting story, then yes, the majority of players are not going to want Seiken, not Seiken, uh, they're not going to want Shibatsu on the throne. When it's very clear that he's pro spider. Well, yeah, but that, if you don't open that up broadly to player support, then you end up with potential problems because it, let's say we assume for the sake of argument mm-hmm. that, that yes, if this is put in terms of the quote unquote spider guy on the throne versus the everybody else guy on the throne, that that would mean that the spider guy just loses horribly and the everyone else guy wins. Let's assume that that's the case. The reason why we're assuming that is is based on the supposition that it would be incredibly unpopular to have like a spider guy be on the throne. But that means that if you actually make it an even fight in some way or a more even fight, that means you're risking a story result that is incredibly unpopular. And right. which, why would you do that? Weirdly enough, in some way... Well, I'm, I still am surprised that that seems to be how they're doing it. If you're putting up popular option versus wildly unpopular option, it actually makes sense to have it be much less likely that the wildly unpopular option wins. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Then it becomes this, this false thing. It's this false hope, I guess, of, okay, well, this could possibly happen, but I mean, it's the same thing as the spider that they've done both times. Will it actually become a clan? Well, it seemed really weighted that it was gonna become a clan. Yeah. Uh, it was really, it was really only a couple of people who really wanted it to not become a clan inside of that faction that, that you know, almost made it not happen. Uh, yeah. Well, so what I'm saying here is, I don't think there is a way that you can really set this up to be like, like I don't think it's going to be another race for the throne where it's like, okay, do you want to throw your weight behind Shibatsu or do you want to throw your weight behind Seiken? I, I feel like it's going to be, it'd be more interesting or something to, I don't know what, I, I just, I don't, I want Shibatsu to be able to do something and not get completely stamped out because you want the story to be interesting. But you also don't want the story to feel railroaded to me. Because then it's like, well, I'm not really making a choice, so why am I participating? If 80% of the people are going to just choose Seiken, then you you want people to participate because you want them to be, you know, concerned with what's going to happen. And I look at the clans that he might be popular with otherwise, the, the clans where he might be in the deck and doing work. So you've got someone like the Crane, but the Crane... I feel like we're probably going to still harbor bad feelings because this is the prize that was the stolen prize. I don't want to say stolen. I don't want to say stolen because the spider did work. It wasn't stolen, but it was certainly snatched from them. Well, like because it came down to the end that a non, a guy who wasn't either, I, that, whatever, that I don't think really right. matters. That's right. always going to happen. The thing I did not like about that contest 
and why I think it was unfair to the crane or anybody who wasn't the spider was that spider were double dipping. Yes, yeah, the spider, the spider were not going to save any of their points anyway because it didn't matter. They would needed to donate all of their points, however they were donating them. So they were automatically in this competition heavily, whereas everybody else had to sit down and make this decision like, do I hose my clan and try to go for this or not? And and the Crane were really the only other clan that went in on that. And I think it was a really good performance by the Crane that despite the fact that they had to tank their own clan to do it, they still almost got it when they were fighting against somebody who was effectively saving their clan by doing this. It, and it's easy, I think, to forget that in retrospect, now that we know that basically nothing mattered from that mega game, and it didn't right. matter if you got honor or glory. And In fact, like if you went back in time and did that, I'd be like, everybody tank and try to get the airs, because that's all, or try to get, like, the air is the air, and whether or not the spider became a great clan, I feel like the only thing that mattered out of that. Anyhow, how did we get here? I, I know how we I I I know the, the the chain of thought. Oh, I think it is important for going forward, like because this is Ivory. You know what exactly are they going to do? Are they going to do this same thing again? Like I said, I am I'm surprised that they seem to be setting the Shibatsu Seiken thing up in a very spider centric sort of way. Obviously, there was going to be some element of spider association in that and so like you had to be like okay we'll make Seiken a little bit less likable and then maybe Shibatsu is more likable and that balances things out but they just quadrupled down on well well, and you've got a couple other things there I think part of what you have for Shibatsu as well is it's part of it would make sense for the spider to help alleviate some of the military pressure that they're feeling to get more power in court. And obviously the air is one of the ways to do that. On top of their goal of we want to put the, the spider air on the throne. And that also gives them AEG a good way of here is why you have a spider honor day because they've been pushing this political stuff. Then again, you look at Saken and there was even in his thread on the AEG forums, there was things going through where you look through the art and Saken has representation of every clan and the mil- and the imperial families in his art. Yeah. Shibatsu is just spider. Yes. And Seiken has no spider thing on him whatsoever. Yeah, well, he hates the spider. Right. But no, no, yeah, they're they're clearly jumping to that. And let's face it, this is why this is why there's a spider honor theme because two and a half years ago, Brian Reese said every clan except spider is getting yeah. a non-military. Victory condition. That is why there is a spider honor deck. <laughs> I believe so. Well, I mean, that, that's fine. I have no problems against having a spider honor deck. I, uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, but I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, the other thing, then let's let's hope this is the last sort of thought we'll have. Is the other thing? It makes me think back to the heir's wrath, which clearly depicted Shibatsu on it, and is this mega destruction card that causes an honor loss and and I remember when that came out like that gave that was one of the first things we saw and that gave me a negative impression of that character because he's depicted in this menacing way he's on an honor loss card he's got wrath which is you know losing your temper that's not we haven't seen anything whatsoever really about the character that reflects that 
what's up with that card? I, you know, I, I was thinking about this more after Reese's, you know, design inspiration, and I, whenever it is I talk to Reese again, I'll, I'll probably try to get him to talk about some of the design things with individual cards. And for a card game that is so much about the story and presentation of flavor and that has some cards that do just a really great synergy job of of mechanics and art and and names and and how that fits in with the story there are some times when there are just complete misses and like i i don't know it's kind of interesting how that yeah i don't know how you know how did we get there how did they end up with an heir's wrath card that seems so disjointed from everything else that we've seen about the characters. And but the most important thing is that how can an armed rice farmer have lower force, half as much force as a rice farmer? What weapon's really heavy? I was about to say. Ah, I, because he doesn't have proficiency in weapons, so he's taking a big negative to try and swing. Right, he's at a negative four because it's an unfamiliar weapon. Ah, it just, I, I know it's a small thing, but I, I looked at those and it drove me crazy. I mean, maybe they, I think those were probably designed as a pair. Maybe they weren't, but they're, they're announced as a pair together. And you've got Rice Farmer, the sort of more storyline wussy version of thing. And then you've got Armed Rice Farmer right next to each other. The Rice Farmer has two force. The Armed Rice Farmer has one force. That makes no sense. Well, it does. Re- it does really seem like it would should be maybe a one cost attachment that gives you one force and a two cost guy that has two force. It, it, I don't know. Maybe there. He might need to cost more than two if he has. Maybe well, or maybe three for two or something. Well, yeah. However, know. you fix it, but it's just. Well, I mean, I don't know for the for the heir's wrath. I, I could I can kind of buy into it just because you could say, well, it's the spider are either pulling the wool over his eyes or maybe they're acting in his name. Since they're kind of the stewards for him, I don't know if they would actually be able to do that or not, but I don't know. I, I don't disagree with you, though. As with many, many things, we will have to wait and see. It's Sean's favorite line. Hmm. And his favorite card. Yes, yes. Mm. More Fudoist action going up. I really want to read Aftermath Part 3. Post it now. Post it now. It's probably already posted at the time you're hearing me say that. But, anyhow. Alright. Uh, any more thoughts on Legend of the Five Rings before we end this probably horrifyingly long episode? I want it to be February so I can play Ivory. <laughs> that's my that's my main thought. It's January so you can play in the Ivory Championships. That's a, uh, that, that, yes, that's, sure. Yes, okay. <laughs> I want it to be January so I can volunteer to help run the <laughs> <sighs> Okay. How about you, Jay? Any last minute thoughts? The one thing I was gonna mention about Seiken Shibatsu that I thought was interesting, Shibatsu can be dishonored, Seiken not so much. Yes. I just thought that was interesting. That is I guess I hadn't really thought about that as a particularly significant thing, but I guess they do both have the will not gain a clan alignment, and they're I I think they could have fit that in there with Shibatsu. He's a little squeezed because he's got three traits and an ability, but I guess 
you know, it would it would take an extra line, and you might have to small his text up a little bit, but I don't think that would have stopped them. So maybe there is some significance for that. I, well, I, again, I think, unfortunately, once again, might play into the whole, you know, all the other clans really kind of like him, spider or not so much, and then vice versa for the other way. Right. I don't know. We will... We'll find out. We'll have to see, eventually, sooner or later. I mean, I, it could be forever till we find out what's up exactly with this, because if there actually is some dark secret for Shibatsu or something, I, they probably will not reveal it until... for ages, but... I, Gen Con at the end of Ivory. But the one thing to keep in mind, I, I I think on the whole, who likes who and who will win what, is that if it's a tournament result thing, L5R is not generally determined by a popular vote. I mean, I... Right, sure. it'll pro- often it's an inverted popular vote, because the winner will be like, let's do something for the lulls. So, and, and we saw it, they didn't win in the end, but right, we saw that with the Jigoku versus Great Clan thing for the Spider. Clearly, the Great Clan result was far more popular among the Spider players, and because of the map game thing where it was basically fan decisions, the Great Clan voting started out with a substantial lead from being able to donate honor and glory in that. And yet, Jigoku came very, very close to win because you had a, a small group of dedicated and very talented players, uh, you know, especially spearheaded by Ornatov on, what was that, Ornatov and, and Robbie Swan racked up a bunch of those points, if I'm remembering correctly. But, you know, so, especially if, if Seiken and Shibatsu literally came down to something like a world championships, that's completely up in the air. And I don't know at that point if it even matters who's more or less popular. It, it matters if it's a bunch of Kote votes. And I wouldn't be. We've, you know, we've gotten enough of these random colonies versus empire votes that seem to be meaningless for Kote wins. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with Shibatsu versus Seiken votes at some point for. Yeah, I just hope not because I think there's more interesting things that we can pick that are not going to be so railroaded. But who knows? That lets you give them a choice and then. It's just very hard for them, being the story team especially, when you've got all sorts of freedom as a Kote winner and you get to choose 50 different things and to try to have that actually depicted in story and matter and it's it's just so much all at once story-wise. Anyhow, okay, you have been listening to Strange Assembly. We'd be very happy if you visit our website, strangeassembly.com, or... Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can also email me. I always like to hear some feedback. Chris at strangeassembly.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at strangeassembly or check us out on Facebook, which is just facebook.com strangeassembly. I always still like that we have all sorts of normal names. We don't have to have like strange assembly one, two, three podcast or something. Isn't that nice? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this has been Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.